Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Well, the Lord says He restores our soul. Everybody state says restores our soul. That's out of Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Leads me beside still waters. Leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Restores my soul. Amen. Now, I was, I've been meditating on some things, thinking on some things. Uh, the first place I begin to look and examine very, how can I say this, very passionately, when I begin to see things happen in my own life, in our ministry, in other things that are going on, is me. I put myself under the, the magnifying glass of the Word of God and of the Spirit of God. I always ask God, what am I doing? I really don't could care less what everybody else does because what goes on in my life and what goes on in the church and what goes on in the ministry that we're part of literally falls on my shoulders. But, everybody say but. There's always times in which the enemy makes encroachments into ministries, into people's lives, into families, into businesses, people's jobs, and tries to bring oppression and attack, trying to just shut down righteousness. Now, we live in a day and hour in which it, there is an unprecedented, how can I say this, an, in, an impress, an, uh, unprecedented outpouring of, how can I say it, Lord? of an of a adherence to the demonic. And not ignorantly, uh, not an ignorant, but a conscious, calculated, purposeful, we're going to serve the devil, and this is how we're going to do it. The statistics on that are hidden. They don't tell you about it on ABC, NBC, Fox, uh, CBS, CNN. They don't tell you about it. On, but if you do a little study, you'll find out that there has been a tremendous increase in satanic worship in this nation in the past 20, 30 years. I mean a tremendous increase to the point that our law enforcement agencies, because of this type of activity, our law enforcement agencies have pretty much said, there's really not a whole lot we can do about it because if we got started really digging into this, two things would happen. It would begin to destroy the structure of our society. And secondly, we'd have to exhaust all of our time just dealing with this one subject which means it's so ingrained in our society. Now, I listened to a, to a program last night of a very reputable author who has recently written a book, and I'm going to get the book and read it before I recommend it to you. But he has studied the subject of the satanic in our nation. And he said, I had no idea, especially when it comes to things like uh, covens and witches, human sacrifice. We think, that stuff doesn't go. Oh, come on, pastor, that stuff doesn't. Let me tell you, it's rampant in this nation. To the point, listen, this is a statistic you can get uh, on, the, on your website and go to, I think, the FBI or one of the, one of the law enforcement. And find, there are close to 80,000 children that disappear in this country every year. And he, in his book, targeted the music industry, Hollywood, and the political structure as being the, the, the participants on a high level in all this kind of goofiness that's going on. Now, people would say, well, Pastor, I, I think we've outgrown all of that. People actually going back into ancient writings and, and digging up old ancient demons and surfing, uh, serving them. What do you think we're doing? 
We're studying ancient writings and serving God. Don't you think there's going to be people that's going to go dig into ancient writings and learn how to serve the devil? That's exactly what they've done. Now, in doing that, you've got to understand, it behooves you to serve God. I mean, you can get mad at the pastor, get mad at the church, get mad at this and that, but you listen, you really need to, in this day and hour, serve God because that type of junk is on a high level and they're praying and they're interceding to their demon gods for the destruction of churches, for the destruction of families, for the destruction of righteousness. Why do you think all of the things that we used to think were very immoral and illegal are now legal and, quote, moral? We do live in the time in which the minor prophets said, there's several of them that said this, in which dark shall be called light, light shall be called dark, death shall be called life, and life shall be called death. We are living in that day and hour, and if we don't wake up to it, it's just going to sweep us away. And there's a lot of people, the Lord literally in, in praying over this and praying, saying, Lord, what, is the, what do we do? How do we live for you? in such a way, number one, that we live a protected life. Number two, that we live apart from the effects of that. Number three, that we are able to proceed and move ahead in that which God says for us to do in this day and hour. Because what Paul wrote to Timothy about the last days really does not proclaim a great outpouring of the Holy Ghost and a move of God. What it shows or the picture it paints is a group of people that won't back off the redemptive revelation of God and just will not be swept away by the unrighteousness that's on the earth. Amen? Amen? And in the midst of that, God will move. There'll be harvest. Everybody say harvest. And the Bible says of harvest, unless the days of the harvest are shortened, that the very elect could be deceived. Now, this week I, I got a, I got a uh, text that, a, that somebody actually that attended this church for a few months. But I had known him most of his life. And he attended here when we were over on 45th Street. And he died this Monday in prison doing 30 years to life. Now, this is a guy that had been saved, that had been filled with the Holy Ghost. And I trust that his salvation held and he made heaven, but he still died in prison doing 30 to life. And one of the things that I've noticed in dealing with people that, that get angry at me, that get angry at the church, that get angry at the... is the level of rage and anger that gets into people. And let me tell you something. Many times we think that oppression from our adversary... You know, it's, it's a depressing thing. It's, you know, you're depressed. You're like, you know, you're kind of apathetic, complacent. You kind of can, you can feel the resistance of the adversary against you. But many times, your greatest oppression of your adversary is his deception. In your life, which drags you into something that puts a rage or a fire on the inside of you that's not the fire of God. And I'm telling you, you'll abuse your relationship with God. You'll abuse your relationship with the people that are closest around you. You'll abuse your relationship with your church. And you'll abuse your relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And what you'll do is you'll get in a place in your life like that and blame it all on everybody else because that is the endemic pattern. And everything that happens to you is, is it just ain't my fault. Amen? So, I'm, you know, I'm praying about this and the Lord's talking to me about it. I'm like, man, you know, that's be better just to go up in the rapture tomorrow, you know. But no, we have to live down here. And the problem is too many people have decided to live down here 
trying to survive instead of thriving in it. Because I'm telling you, if anybody should be able to thrive in an atmosphere like that, it should be us who have the greatest revelation ever given since the world was created, we possess the greatest depth and the greatest amount of revelation from the Word of God of any other generation. Of any other. Don't you think our adversary knows that? Yes. Amen? Now, today, I hope you Is everybody reading your chapter a day? I love to read those chapters. Every day the Lord speaks to me out of those chapters. Uh, today in, in Luke 24, you know, this is after Jesus rose from the dead. The story of the two men on the road to Emmaus. And, and Jesus started walking with them. I don't know if you've ever walked and had a stranger talking to you. But I don't, think he, I don't think most people would allow a stranger to talk to them like Jesus talked to those guys. He called them hard of heart. Amen? He called them hard of heart. He said, y'all, you're hard of heart. Don't you believe the scriptures? Oh, I mean, he just, he just crawled all over them. Well, he was doing what the Word does. The Word instructs, the Word corrects, the, uh, the Word reproves, amen, and that's exactly what the Word was doing. And he actually was setting them up for a visitation. Everybody say a visitation. Now, in studying the Old Testament, there was just one nation that had kind of what you would call the, uh, the corner on the market when it came to, came to the God thing, and that was Israel. And they were given a law, and they were given a priesthood, and they were given kings and prophets that were anointed. And listen, you did not have a choice not to do what God said. You say, well, you know, Moses is up there reading the Ten Commandments. He said, well, you know, I really don't like that. Thou shalt not commit adultery one. I, I really don't like that one because, you know, me and my neighbor's wife have been... <laughs> well, you, can't, you can't do that. There, listen, there was, a, there was a punishment for every law you broke. There was a, and the Bible says the law of the spirit of life in Christ has done what? Set us free from the law of sin and death, which means we live in a dispensation in which the punishment side has been canceled. But listen to me. The punishment side may have been canceled, but the result side has not. The wages of sin is still death. And when you recognize that and realize, you have to begin to recognize and realize, well, listen, you know, I'm going to have to really buckle down on this God thing, this Jesus thing, this Holy Ghost thing, this church thing, I'm going to have to really serve God, not just to survive, but to thrive in the atmosphere of the most wicked time this planet has ever seen. This planet has never been more wretched. This planet has never been more wicked. This planet has never had more demonic activity. It's never been worse, but the good news is it's never been better if we'll serve God. Amen? So we've been studying... Restoring our soul. Everybody say restoring our soul. Now, go over, to, go over to Romans real quick. I wanted to use this kind of as a jumping off. And I've got my teaching on the heart because I want to show you something. Let me find it here. Romans, Romans chapter 6. Let's start in verse 15. It says, What then shall we sin because we are not under the law? Now, that's just what I was referring to about how, you know, we're not under the punishment of the law anymore. So why don't we just go ahead? Well, what difference does it make? We're not under the punishment of the law. So why don't we do a little stealing? You know, a little, little killing. Commit a little bit of adultery. You know, we're not under the law. Amen? 
But see, that's exactly what Paul's addressing here in Romans chapter 6. He says, what then shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Now what he's saying is this. He said, listen, just because we're under grace does not mean that sin does not have an effect. That's what he's saying. He says, uh, uh, know ye not that to whom you yield yourself, servant to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So the whole key of this living by faith, living in righteousness, living under the redemptive strength that God has given us in Christ is one word, and that one key word is obedience. And the number one thing your adversary is going to fight you over is your obedience. And he will try to compromise your obedience on every level. On every level. And because, now here's the trap we fall into. Because we go a few days, we go a few months, we go a few years, we go a couple of decades compromising our lives in a sinful area and there is no punishment, we think we're getting away with something. That's the biggest deception. Because that's what, that is literally what opens the door for the adversary to come into your life at a specific time, a specific place, and pull you right out of everything God has for you. You've been, you've been being taught on faith. You've been being taught on redemption. You've been taught on confession. You've been taught on powerful truths from the Word of God that radically change your life, setting you up for what I like to call a spiritual windfall. A spiritual windfall. And we've had them in our lives. We're going to have more in our lives. We've had them in our church. We're going to have more in our church. But what the enemy wants to do is to stop every spiritual windfall. You say, now come on, that's, that's the furthest thing. I, I, I don't believe that in any way. Listen, the Bible says not to be weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. That reaping is the spiritual windfall that you get when you don't get weary in well-doing. Amen? Now, back to, to, to Luke 24. You don't have to turn back there. Let me just, the, the story, Jesus is risen from the dead. These guys are walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. They don't even know he's there. Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of, the, the mother of James, a couple of the women, they went in, they saw the tomb was empty. His body was not there. Two angels manifested. The Bible says in, in, in glittering or glowing uh, apparel. Now they're walking along and Jesus begins to basically abrade them. Called them heart of heart. Now, can you imagine what condition the soul of the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ on whatever level it was, whether it was the 12 that were following, well they were 11 now because Judas had killed himself, whether it was the 11... Uh, disciples that were left, whether it were the women that were following him, whether it was uh, uh, people that were just kind of, you know, hanging out to see what miracle he would do, on whatever level you were following, could you imagine their emotional state or the state of their soul? Well, they were very emotional. 
I guarantee for three days and three nights, they'd probably been crying. They'd probably been in fear. They'd probably been in all, all kinds. Their soul was messed up. Now, when you go study Psalm 23, and it says, he restores my soul. Actually, that means he'll take your soul and put it right back in the right place. Because when your soul gets out of place, then you're ruled by your soul. What God wants to do is take your soul and put it right back in the right place. And one of the things the enemy does to try to get your soul out of place, you say, what do you mean by that? Your soul, which is your mind, your emotions, your will, the way you think, the way you feel, the choices you make. He wants to get them in such a place where they are not dominated by your spirit. And your soul becomes like your mind. If all your, tell me the best way to say that. Good, thank you. Your soul becomes just like your mind as long as all your soul ever gets fed is mind food. But your soul becomes like your spirit, excuse me, your heart, your, your, your soul becomes like your spirit as long as you can feed it heart food or spirit food. Whatever you eat, that's what you are. You are what you eat. Amen? Now, back to Romans. Remember those guys in Luke 24. We're going to talk about them some more. They're all stirred up. Their soul's all mixed up. They've had a lot of emotional things going on. They probably weren't making good choices. Amen? You can imagine all the thoughts going through their mind. Then we're talking about here. Know ye not that to whom you self-yield your servants to obey his servants you are? Actually, that's a, that, that translation there is actually the word slave. Whether of sin unto death of, or of obedience unto righteousness. Everybody say obedience unto righteousness. The key is obedience. Everybody say obedience. But, verse 17. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine delivered you. Have what? have obeyed from the heart. Now, our problem is, because we're American, because, you know, we vote on everything, because we want to know everybody's opinion of this or that, is we've given our choice much more power than we should give it. Now, let me say that again. We've given our choice much more power then we should give it. That's what he's literally talking about. If you yield to sin, you're going to become a slave to sin. Grace is literally going to lose its place in your life. That's, that's why, that, that's why that, that young man, and he died prematurely in prison this week. You know why he died? Because of sin and disobedience. That's what killed him. Amen. He didn't have to die. He didn't have to die. He could have served God. Made the wrong choice. Make the wrong choices. And when you begin to make choices that go against the grain of righteousness and flow with the stream of sin, and let me just say this, choices that go along the stream of sin are so easy to make. They're so, it's so easy to choose. Because here's the thing. As soon as you make a choice that goes against the grain of righteousness, your mind's not going to mess with you. You'll feel good about it. You may even get some results from the choice that you made. Some temporary relief, some feeling of satisfaction. You get into some of the deeper sins like adultery, different things like that, and, and sexual sin. Then there's that, there's that little bit of uh, mystery and, and get, really getting away with something. You get yourself in trouble. 
They can get hooked on that stuff. And it's not the drug, it's not, it's not the adultery, it's not the sexual sin. It's, it's the act of it, going into it, performing and going out of it, that becomes something that you think you're getting away with. And you're not getting away with it. You're becoming a slave to it. And you're departing from righteousness. And you're getting what I call soul sick. And your soul needs to be put back in the place that it needs to be. Now, notice this. Here's the key. There's the word obedience. Everybody say obedience. Now, notice it says obedience from the heart. Everybody say from the heart. That doctrine, actually, that uh, a better translation, uh, the true Greek translation says this. You have obeyed from your heart a system of truth. Now, the scripture which reveals Christ, which reveals redemption, is a system of truth, which means a word that is spoken and a deed that shall be performed. By God. Oh, somebody should have got excited about that. A word that is spoken, I will save you. I saved you 2,000 years ago. Believe with your heart, confess with your mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. If you do that, guess what happens? You get saved. The law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells and abides in you. It quickens. It makes alive your mortal body. Father, I thank you for that. I believe I receive it. That is the truth of the word of God. That sickness or disease is just a fact. This is the truth. This is what I'm going to stand with. You know what will happen? You'll be healed. Amen. Amen. I saw it one time in the spirit when I was praying. Years ago, I was still in field ministry. It's like there's all these veils you've got to get through. The flesh, the soul, the mind. But once you get to the place where you're really in faith in something, it doesn't matter whether you have it or not. It doesn't matter whether there's a physical manifestation. You know it's yours. If that was not so, there's not a person in here that would think they'd go to heaven if they were to die. That shows you how strong the word is, how powerful it works. Now, everybody say, from the heart. Now, let me find my notes here. I wrote some notes in my heart book. It's starting to become a mess. Oh, man, how's my time? All right, well, we'll do a little bit of it, all right? Obedience from the heart. Everybody say, everybody say obedience from the heart. So obedience finds its origin where? In your heart. Now, just a little bit of review. What did we learn about the heart? Hebrews chapter 4. It talks about, uh, 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 for the word of God is sharp, quick, sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword, divides asunder that which is of the flesh, the bone and marrow, that which is of the, uh, of the, of the, of the soul, that which is of the spirit. So we got what? Spirit, soul, and body. And it's what? A discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So many of you were not here two years ago when we taught on the heart. So the heart is what? The, the, let's see, I wrote it down here. Let me find it. The spirit, your spirit, is made. Everybody say made. You say, now how can you say it? Because you're made in the likeness and image of God, and God is what? Spirit. So that's what you are. You have been made a spirit. Everybody say, I'm a spirit. Say, my male fit spirit, I'm a female. No, you're just your spirit. You're a spirit, amen? The soul you possess, you have a soul, a body you have been given. 
Your body is like your driver's license. It is your right to be present on this planet Earth. Is your physical body. But your heart has to be developed. Somebody remember that teaching from two years ago. You have to develop. We talked about the heart being developed in between the spirit and the soul and the heart being developed in between the soul and the flesh. How in athletic endeavors, a lot of men, women in an athletic endeavor will develop their heart and they'll have a heart for tennis or they'll have a heart for basketball or they'll have a heart for football or they'll have a heart for baseball and they might not have as much talent as another person but they have a greater heart therefore they excel over those with the talent. You say, why? Because they developed a heart for it. People with a heart for golf. Tiger Woods is one of the greatest examples of somebody that just developed a heart for golf. But then there's the believer. And every person has, what? Something in between their spirit and their soul. And that is your heart. And it's with your heart you what? Believe. It is the other side of your belief system. If thou shalt believe with thy heart, confess with thy mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Your heart and your mouth are your belief system. That's all there is to it. So there are people that believe things in their heart that are wrong. They're wrong. And you can't tell people they're wrong. <laughs> the good news of the gospel is not how wrong you are. The good news of the gospel is how right Jesus is. And in the light of how right Jesus is, you've got to begin to see how wrong you are. <laughs> That's most people's problem. Because I'm telling you, you've, people will fight for their right to be right. And somebody said this to me one time, and I thought it was really, really funny. They said, I'm telling you, Pastor, I'm telling you, millions of people can't be wrong. Yes, they can be wrong. Millions of people can be wrong. And if you don't wake up to that, amen, and if you get your, your, your heart messed up, mixed up with your own nasty soul, you're going to start believing things that are totally contrary to your righteousness. Now, let me close with this because I don't want to get too involved. Is anybody liking this? This is going to help. I've got, about, I've got about six weeks of this stuff. I think it's going to be good. God's been speaking to me. So it's, we'll call this matters of the heart too. Amen? Now, the, the thing is, if the adversary can get you into a place in which he can put a wrong belief in your heart. By stimulating the way you think, the way you feel, and the choices you make, he can pull you out of the will of God. And in pulling you out of the will of God, he can keep you in a place of apathy and complacency. And if he can hold you there your whole life, you'll be totally ineffective of producing any fruit in the kingdom of God. Amen? Now, in traveling over the years... I had this happen to me several times. I'd be in a certain city. I'd be in a hotel room, studying and praying, three and four days at a time. There'd be a knock on my door. And there'd be some people that would want to talk to me. They would come into my room. They would sit down. Sometimes it would be a couple of couples. And they would start tearing up their pastor. 
And every one of them, I had the same response. You're wrong. And their response to me was this. You don't even know the situation. I said, I would say, I don't care what the situation is, you're wrong. And that would freak them out. And they would say, well, how can you say that? And here's, I tell you, thank God for the Holy Ghost. Because, you know, they would knock on my door and I've been praying the Holy Ghost for two hours. Come on, don't, don't do something stupid. <laughs> here's, here's what I, here, and this, this happened every time. I said, let me show you where you're wrong. And they said, well, how do you know we're wrong? I said, because you knocked on my door where your pastor invited me to preach in his church, giving him, giving me his trust and his loyalty to this ministry, and you thought by knocking on my door you could come in and tear him down to me? You are wrong. And most of them right there just freak him out. They turn around and walk out the door. Now, back then, I used to just go, you know, and I'd, 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 tell the, I'd always tell the pastors when it happened. One, one particular pastor told me, he said, I'm telling you, man, those people have been doing everything they can do to shut this church down. Now, listen, let me just say this. The enemy does not use the Bandito's motorcycle gang, the Hells Angels, Charles Manson, and Jim Jones. Is that the big four or whatever we want to call them? Amen. He doesn't do that. He tries to get into people's minds, into their souls. And keep you busy thinking about things, feeling things, or making choices about things that in reality, if you really thought it through, are not even relevant to your spiritual walk. They're not even relevant. I mean, they, they have no relevance at all. All they are is seeds the enemy is trying to get you to entertain and plant in your own heart to try to get you out of something that God is trying to do in your life. Come on, church. And what he's trying to do, he's trying to get into your soul and make you soul sick to the point that you begin to feed that sickness to your heart. Because from that heart, you'll do what? You'll believe it. You'll believe it. And I've heard some of the craziest things that people have said to me over the years of what they believe. This is what I believe. And they start telling me. And, I'm, and I think to myself, I can't even argue that. It's so stupid. But I believe it. I'll tell you I believe it like I believe the sun's coming. I say, I mean, what are you going to do with somebody? Like, you can't argue. They've already, they've already dumped it into their belief system. There ain't nothing you can do about it. I found out years ago, that's one thing you better keep squeaky clean is that heart. You better keep that heart pure. You better keep that heart clean. You've got to keep the garbage out of it. You've got to judge every thought coming out of your mind. And you've got to make sure your spirit man has a great big old pipe hooked to your heart and constantly feeding it the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, thinking about the Word of God, praying in the Holy Ghost, and allowing yourself to recognize from this, 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 this over here, this is my pure water. This is my living water. This is my goodness of God. And over here in this mind, this so this is my sewer. See, most people don't like that. That's what it is. This is your sewer. It's where the garbage goes. It's where the junk goes. And if you allow it to stay there, it'll do the same thing that garbage does if you don't let the garbage man haul it off. It'll start stinking, it'll start drawing flies, and it'll start getting in every part of your life. <laughs> Somebody will end up getting healed through this type of teaching. Amen. So what you've got to do is you've got to make a decision. 
to begin to become a spiritual policeman and begin to stand guard over what's coming into your life. Now, let me, I'm going to close with this because our nation is going through some stuff. And I, you know, you're going to have to choose your own side. I'm, I'm not here to, to tell you what side to be on. That's your own personal preference. But we have been being conditioned for a long time. And that has brought us to this point. And we have so far as the media, as political parties, as all this, we have so far departed from common, just plain common sense. I'm just plain common sense. We've so far departed from that. And every day, and I don't care, you say, well, I watch this channel, I watch this, I don't care what channel you watch. Every day it's rehearsed over and 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 over. Constant flow. Now let me tell you what it is. It's a constant flow of sewage into your soul. It is. It's what it is. And if you allow it, what's going to happen, it's going to step over into your heart and it's not going to affect, it's going to infect because that's your belief system. <laughs> when I listen sometimes to what people say on TV, I almost expect, listen, I was one of those you know, kids in the 60s that, that, that smoked too much weed and watched too much Saturday Night Live. That's, that's what I was. I'm sorry if that disappoints you. That's just who I was. So I expect many times during the interaction of one of these political reports, or things, I expect somebody to jump out and go, live from New York. It's Saturday night. Like this should be some skit on Saturday night. And I haven't watched Saturday Night Live in 30-something years, but... That was back in the, in the Chevy Chase days and, you know, all those guys. I just expect somebody to jump out and go, live from New York, it's Saturday. This is all a big joke. We just put this on for your entertainment. But nobody's done it yet. Here's why. Are you ready? They really believe it all. On every side, from every corner. From every angle, they believe it all. <laughs> and then Christians start feeding on that, eating on that, feeding on that, eating on that, feeding, and then start wondering, well, well I don't have, I, don't, I can't sleep tonight. Why don't I have peace? And, and you know, I just, I, I, the other night, you know, I, I went to church and I just, I couldn't get, I just couldn't get into the Word and worship. I just, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm just really kind of tired. I just, I just need a vacation is what I need. No, you don't. You need a good Holy Ghost shaking is what you need. You need to get back into righteousness, back into the Word of God, not allow what's going on to the, in the world and the world system to begin to affect and infect your life. Paul talked about it over and over and over and over. He talked about you cannot be friends with this world. You can't be part of this world. You can't get the world on you, in you, or around you. This world is not of God. There is that God of this world. His name is Satan. He will mess you up, and you are his biggest threat. And don't think he hasn't got a target on you, that he's not aiming for you, and all this crazy stuff that 
they start talking about all this, all this satanic stuff and all that. What does that do? That's just the adversary trying to charge this atmosphere with enough garbage to infect your soul and mess with your belief system. He wants to mess up your heart. And I started looking a little different at the scripture that talks about how men's hearts will fail them for things coming upon the earth. I used to always think that was the physical heart. But it ain't the physical heart. It's the spiritual heart that will begin to fail men because they have so much in their belief system that is not of God, that is not righteous, that is not good, that is not of that which God has provided for us through redemption. And that is what they believe. It's amazing. You know, I've never said this before, and I might not ought to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> Leah always looks at me funny when I say that. But if God ever calls you to pastor a church, you ought to ask this one question. You ought to ask this one question. Why? Now, you don't ask it to God. You ask it to yourself. So, okay, God, you're telling me to pastor a church, so I'll do it. I'll obey you. Then you ought to get off away from God, away from the devil, away from everybody else. Look yourself in the mirror and say, why would I want to do that? Now, here's why. I'm going to help you. Here's why. Here's the only reason why you should pastor a church is you want to preach the gospel and you want to help people. And you can depart from those two truths. You want to feed the sheep and you want to be a blessing to people. You want to live your life as an example to the people that God calls around you. You want to, you want to, you want to make sure in, in, the, in your congregation that when people need help that they're helped. You need to make sure that you're teaching the Word of God, that you're proving, not just going out and reading somebody book, you know, uh, reading somebody's books and getting them being a parrot. Amen. If you do that, you'll never teach or preach with passion because you won't have any. But you, you prove things out by the Word. You walk them out. You go through trials, troubles, tribulations. You go through all this stuff, and you do it, and then you lead your congregation through it. You have vision. You want to do, you want to do good. You want to bless. And I started thinking about it because I've been talking to God about some serious stuff lately. And the Lord, the Lord talked to me, and He said this to me. He said, you haven't failed in doing good. Because pastors are that way. They always blame themselves for everything that goes on in the church. I mean, you have no idea. Some of the things we've helped people do. We've kept people out of the penitentiary. It's cost us thousands of dollars. We've bought cars for people. We've bought, we've bought we, like I said, and you say, I'm not trying to brag on us. I'm just saying that's what we do. We're not in the business to try to warp people's mind or to try to get people to think like we think. We're here to present what God says in His Word, to live it in front of you, and then to do our best to be the biggest help other than God in your life. That's what pastoring is all about. Any other motive in that to be a big businessman, I tell you, you get outside the boundaries of your anointing and that which God wants you to do. Sure, there's people that have, that have, that have, that have done things. They've, they've, they've built big ministries. They've, they've lost their motive, lost their way. But here's the thing. God always gives them grace because of the people. He lets that grace be upon those ministries because of the people. But I've sat at tables with pastors very well known that had lost their way. And big ministries, they'd lost their way. All they could talk about was how many partners they had, how much money they had, how many millions they were making. And I thought to myself, is that what this is all about? And almost it become like a competition at the table. Like they're competing. Well, my church bigger than your church. My church bigger I always tell you a funny story. 
Oh, my Lord. I'll close with this. Send you home laughing. Won't be so serious. I was at a minister, minister's meeting. This is back when I was in field ministry. I've been in field ministry probably over 10 years at the time. So I, I was, you know, a little bit known and, and, it, and it had, had, you know, quite a few meetings under my belt. And, and so there was a pastor sitting next to me and a pastor sitting here across from me. And then there was, a, on this pastor here, there was a pastor on each side of him. And so this pastor, so I'm sitting next to this pastor, and he's listening to this conversation, so I'm watching him, because he's kind of a nut. And uh, so th he, this, this, this pastor's talking to this pastor. He asked him, how many people's going to your church? He said, you know, I've got about 1,000 people going to my church. He said, yeah, man, that's great. Talk about talk. So about 15 minutes later, uh, he's, this pastor's talking to this guy, and, and this guy asked him, he said, well, how many people you got going to church? He said, i got about 1,500 going to my church. This, this pastor stood up and banged the table. He said, man, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, this guy did this. He said, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life. And everybody's kind of looking at him like, he said, I'm telling you, this guy right here, just sitting here, his church has grown from 1,000 to 1,500 people just like that. Well, needless to say, what that did at the table I was shocked. I was like. <laughs> That's a true story. I'm not going to tell you the names of the players because we've changed the names of the innocent so that they might be protected. But when he did that, it kind of just revealed to everybody, you know, all this peacock grandstanding really doesn't do anybody any good at the end of the day. There's a lot of lost people. There's a lot of oppressed people. There's a lot of displaced people. There's a lot of hurting people. There's a lot of soul sick people whose soul needs to be restored. And here we are playing games like this. Come on, church. That's why I've already always kind of been away from that kind of stuff and segregated from that kind of stuff. But that just goes to show you many times that even in ministry, motives can get off. And it really is no... The size of a church is really no testimony of how pure the heart is. I'm telling you, it's not. Because I've seen some of the biggest ones just fold up and they're not even existing anymore. So what we have to do as believers is to make sure that we obey, obey from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered unto us. That's why it says, you know, uh, uh, in the, uh, uh, I lost my scripture. scripture. I remember the scripture it says in the last days, it will not endure sound teaching. That word endure does not mean that they sit up and say, eh, we don't like that, we don't like that. That's not what it's saying. It's actually talking about when Israel sinned and the Bible says that, that, that the plague broke out and some guy grabbed the sword. The Bible said he went and stood between the living and the dead. And those were the ones making the wrong choice and making the right choice. And that word endure refers to that, which means when the Word of God is taught, they step over on the judgment side. You say, what do you mean by that? There's always two sides to the Word and the glory of God. You make your decision whether you stand on the judgment and the, and the, and the, and the wage of sin side, or you stand over here on the glory side. I've made my decision to stand on the glory side. I'm going to endure sound teaching. I'm going to listen to the Holy Ghost. I'm going to keep my heart pure, and I'm going to let God be God, and I'm going to contend for revival everywhere I go.
Can I get a better amen? amen. Lift up your heart, hands and thank the Lord. Father, we thank you tonight for the living Word of God, bringing instruction, correction, that which we need in our hearts and in our spirits. We thank you for that, Father. We believe we receive in Jesus' name. Now, everybody stand up real quick and I'll pray a closing prayer. Before I do, let me say this. My prayer times recently have gotten a lot more intense and I've been praying about specific people, specific things, issues. Let me say this. As a church, as a group of people, we need to start leaning and moving a certain way. Now let me tell you which way that is. It is toward love. You say, well, what about faith? Well, what good does it have to have faith if you ain't got love? Now, I'm going to begin to do this here in the next few services, and I don't want anybody responding or doing anything, you know, getting emotional. Or doing. Let me just say this. If you go to church with anyone, you cannot put your arms around, look them in the eye, and tell them that you love them. You're in trouble. If you go to church with anybody that you cannot sit down and break bread with, put your arm around them. Look at them. Tell them, I love you. I love you with all the agape that God's put in my heart. If you cannot do that, you are in trouble. Let me say that one more time. If there's anyone, you go to church, we're just going, we're not going to talk about your family, people at your job, people, because if you don't, you don't get right here, you're not going to get right out there ever. But you are put into a church by God. The Bible says God adds to the church. And He will add you to a group of people that are not just like you. He will add you to a group of people in which you are forced into a place of love. You're forced into it. Because that's how love is developed. If God put you around everyone that was just like you, you would never love them. You would always like them. And churches have lived so long in like that love is no longer relevant. But over the years, what God will do is He will soften your heart and He'll bring you to a place in which you can look around and whether the congregation be 50, 60, 70, like it is here tonight, or 5, 6, or 700, you can look around and examine the whole audience and say, there's not a person in here that I could not put my arms around, tell them I love them, be there for them in the, in the, in the crisis of life, uh, break bread with them, ask them out to eat. There's no, no one here that I would break fellowship with. So you don't know what they did. You've got no idea what love is, if that's your mindset. Well, I heard this. I'm telling you, you better get yourself cleansed because your ability to love is not based on anybody else's ability to perform for you up to your level of what you think they should. You have to love them unconditionally. Come on, church. Because that's what we do. We set our standards. We set our levels. And when someone doesn't come up to that, ha! Ha! Well, let me tell you. Here's the thing that's going to happen in Island Church. You'll be healed or you'll be gone. Because we're going to learn to love each other. And anybody that can't love, 
You're going to be very uncomfortable around here because we're going to learn that love is the nature of our Father and we must walk in love. And this is the family that God has given us to walk in love with. Amen? Praise God. Father, we thank you for tonight. Lord, as is our tradition, we thank you for your protection and your safety. As we leave tonight, we claim Psalms 91, thanking you, Lord. No evil befalls us. No plague comes near our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. So therefore, as we travel on the highways, the airways, the seaways, or the railways, we thank you, Heavenly Father. We are protected and kept safe. In the righteous labor of our hands, no matter what it may be, wherever we may go, Lord, whatever we have to handle, construction, education, medicine, oil, whatever it is, thank you. We are not subject to the evil plans of wicked men or the devil himself. We abide under that grace that the shadow of the Almighty gives us as your people. Lord, let us always remember that as we exit the doors of this church, there is a hurting, confused, messed up world that needs Jesus. And we are His ambassadors. Therefore, let us be actively involved, each and every one, in the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of restoration, the ministry of encouragement. In Jesus' name we ask. Give us a boldness. Lord, as we leave tonight, we walk in faith and love towards You. Thank You for Your overwhelming love toward us. We leave walking in love toward one another. Thank You for our church. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ. You've called us to be thanking you, Lord. Here at Island Church, we're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, and anointed by the Holy. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com. Hallelujah, Jesus.